Hello, friend. How are you? I'm doing okay. Thanks for asking. I'm so glad to welcome you into the same place. It's a place of inclusivity and safety for any conversation to be heard. The safe place began as a image in my head of a wooden cabin on the lake. My own place of mental safety. And I welcome you here to listen to discussions on mental and physical health mental illness and mental and physical disability. You may hear stories that inspire. You may hear stories that make you cry, both in sadness and happiness. But always told from a place of truth. And we hold dear the principles of love, kindness and compassion. Now, with that all said, it's time to hunker down, get comfortable, so we're ready to welcome you in too. A safe place. Afternoon, Emma, and welcome it to this. It's afternoon. You had to think then, didn't you? Yeah, I was thinking. Oh, it's been a, it's been a quick morning. That's for sure. I trained earlier today, so it's thrown me off my usual schedule. Okay. Are you normally a, a morning trainer then, or or later in the day? I like to exercise in the morning, but I normally do like a short, something short. And then I do like my full session later on in the day. But I like training with my flatmate and he's off to London today. So we got up early to train. Okay. Very good. Much more disciplined than I am, I must say. I, I, I used to be the other way around. I used to be a proper after work trainer. It was like my, my event. So I'd go to the gym and, and use it to lift big heavy things. Um, kind of pre not being able to do as much whereas actually I probably am more like you know I probably am more of a more of a get up and do it Um, yeah I think it's it's partly because I now exercise more for how it makes me feel than anything mm. else and I actually have more respect for people who do it after work because there's nothing I would there's no way that I would be going after work like it's I think that's really tough to do and there's numerous reasons for this one of them is that you almost get this kind of like, well, you obviously get the endorphin buzz, buzz yeah. right? And you get like this increase in concentration if you exercise in the morning or at, I guess at any time, but then you kind of get the benefits of that. But you also have this like subtle air of like, I'm a little bit proud of myself. Like I've already done a workout. Like I've ticked that box off Yeah. as opposed to if you're waiting to the end of the day, I think there's always an underlying level of like, and, I use the word anxiety not as like a definition of anxiety, but a feeling of being slightly anxious that you might not actually go or that it might not get done or that something else will come up. And there's always that like, I've still got the gym workout to do. And it's always kind of playing at the back of your mind. That's why I really like getting stuff done earlier in the day. And then it kind of sets you up and and all of your behaviours after it flow a little bit better as well. I can see that. So if you do a morning workout, like I would do something in the morning because starting your day with that action that's in line with your goal means all the other actions kind of flow Mm. yeah I mean I I think when I was training in the afternoon it was more a habit than anything else because it used to be I mean this was when I was on in a relationship manager role so I was kind of frontline in banking going out and seeing customers all the day um yeah fairly kind of active without being active really um 
and then I'd I'd make it a, a rule to then go to the gym. And this was also back when I was training probably more more than I should have been because I was just going and doing like two hour sessions after the gym. That's because I had the time to do it. Whereas actually now I've got a wife and a five year old boy. First day at school today, by the way. Oh. I know. <laughs> it's pretty quite sad, but at the same time, amazing. Um, and trying to get that time afterwards, just that's not going to happen. So you kind you of have to. don't have two hours, right? Yeah. And I guess what's quite interesting is I used to be that person as well who would train for like two hours in the gym. And now I'm like, what an absolute waste of time. And not just like time, but like brain energy and effort that could be better spent elsewhere. And I now do probably about 40 minute workouts like the main reason I'm doing it is basically because I know that I work better after and I know it's good for my mental health my physical health and I enjoy it but what I tend to find is I don't really enjoy it that much after about 40 minutes Mm. and when you understand like the physiology behind exercise and the stimulus that you're creating on your body you realize that you know for most things you actually don't really need to spend that long in the gym it's more about like I'm going in I'm creating this stimulus you're probably getting if you do an hour's workout you're probably getting 80% of the benefit from the first half of that workout yeah when you start to realize that you're like oh actually is it still worth my effort to do a full hour or am I better doing 40 minutes 30 minutes yeah no I think that's fair before before we go any further I should probably um introduce you Rich. oh yeah sorry about that <laughs> so just for everyone listening um this is emma emma story gordon um who is a a fitness professional first and foremost but also um not only a coach so you've got multiple different businesses you've got your mentoring you've got eiq so you're also an educator you do events so ifs i know you you've been to um several times along with others Uh, and the kind of list goes on and on really so I think before, yeah, like, busy. Yeah, I was going to say, like, how do you fit all that in? Well, I don't have a wife and a child, so there's that. <laughs> well, yeah, there we go. Um, but yeah, I, and also, kind of what we just spoke about, like, I genuinely live my life kind of based around this law of diminishing returns, where actually you realize how much you can get done, and if you practice like imperfect action, so allowing things to not be perfect all the time, that like you en- you end up spending about. of your time doing the final 20% of touches that often don't even need to be done like I'm a very like if it's good enough send it like do it take action more than trying to perfect things which tends to hold people back so that is probably why I have seven businesses I also have ADHD so I don't like sitting still I don't have tv so I don't waste time doing stuff like that I get it's probably partly a personality trait but I do enjoy building things and I do enjoy like having different avenues. So yeah, as you mentioned, like first and foremost, foremost, I'm a coach. I've been coaching for 10 years. I've worked with over 10,000 women to help them lose weight and maintain it. And I have numerous coaching businesses. And then I also run an education course with my business partner, Amelia, called EIQ Nutrition, which we essentially set up to be everything that we would have wanted to know when we were starting as personal trainers and then now it's really grown beyond us because we have guest experts coming in so like if we're like oh what this is the topic say when you say we want someone on binge eating like who's the best at binge eating let's pay them to do a lecture on binge eating to teach 
So we've, we've kind of like branched more than just what, what we know and what we can do. Um, which saying that is quite a lot. Like Amelia's incredible. She's got a PhD. She's written yeah. numerous nutrition courses. We both have a lot of applied experience. And I guess that's what we wanted to make a little bit different, not just like a kind of university level course, but actually what's the applicable stuff to coaching and how might that be applied? And also what stuff wouldn't you apply, even though it's quote unquote evidence-based? that's EIQ and then we have Level Up which is our events company that again brings incredible speakers together to educate personal trainers and then I have a mentorship to help excellent coaches grow excellent businesses which is something I'm really passionate about because I think a lot of the best coaches are actually really quite bad at the marketing side and at the business side and it's a real shame because they could be helping so many more people And on the other end of the spectrum, we have actually quite shit coaches who are really good at marketing and really good at business, actually negatively affecting people and kind of causing harm in that respect. So that was something that I wanted to help change. And that's why the mentorship is there. Which is all all very noble in many senses. I mean, I think the running theme throughout that is that you're trying to do do something differently to better others. Um, I mean, is that something that you've you've always felt the the need to do or was was that kind of found you later on? Um, I think the thing that kind of links all these things, I would say the thing that I'm uniquely good at is motivating people to take action, whether that is to do with their health, whether that is to do with their business, whether it is lack of confidence, like that tends to be the running theme and there's so much more crossover than what people think like actually coaching people's businesses is quite similar to coaching people with their nutrition obviously the expertise is slightly different but the main principles and the main sort of mindsets that hold people back are actually quite universal it's interesting i suppose that's the same for for a lot of things isn't it I mean, particularly with coaching, I mean, I work in the banking industry and we have a plethora of different coaching courses, but actually there's not one that uses any of the skills that I see other coaches in other industries use, which I've always found a bit odd. And I think that's probably more of a banking thing in that we're different rather than a, everybody else is, is kind of thinking about it in a, in a different way. Um, but so what do you do differently in banking well just in this just how they teach coaching so they teach it in a very very specific um, way so rather than having um, open conversations and and using things like the growth models as an an example which I've kind of read about external to to what what the banks have, um, have been doing they like to focus on just the performance aspect rather than everything else so it's done in isolation rather than looking at the rounds whereas i i think there's more benefit to coaching in the round because actually that will get you the performance and get you the 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 kind of more more positive um outcomes as a result so that's the bit i guess it's like um not that this i don't know anything about banking right but in a coaching context with nutrition clients that would be like lazy coaching right so giving someone for example like just giving them a meal plan and being like if you stick to that you'll lose weight yeah cool but actually figuring out why is someone overeating like what is the underlying reason why this keeps happening or why you keep having to diet 
that's the difference between putting a bucket under a leak, which is like giving someone a meal plan, and actually going and finding where that leak is coming from and fixing it, which is a long-term solution. And that's, yeah, I guess that's like a a distinct difference. Interesting that you work in banking and finance, because one thing that I was thinking about, my flatmate works kind of in that world. Yeah, okay. And a question he often gets is like, what should I invest in? Right. And the most common question I get is, what should my calories be? And I was like, it, it's so similar because there are so many other things that come around that. Right. Like how many dependents do you have? What are your investment goals? Like how much money do you have to invest? Do you have yeah. other investments? What's your financial security? Like what is the length of time you want to invest? What's your risk appetite? All of these things. Right. Much the same as with dieting like your calories would be based on things like your previous dieting experience, what your family life is like, what your social life is like, how quickly you want or feel you need to lose that weight. What are you willing to sacrifice in order to do that? What compromises could we make instead? What's your weight? What's your height? How active are you? Like all of these things, which by the way, a simple calorie calculator cannot tell you, yeah. comes down to like, okay, what, what is actually the best calorie target for you given all these considerations? And I kind of think that it's just like, it's just an interesting similarity between the two worlds of like, people just want answers to these really basic questions as if they think there should be like one answer. And actually it always depends on the context. Yeah. And do you, do you think that is a, a new issue or a newer issue? Um, and what I mean by that is, do you think that the kind of changing society that we've seen over the last, decade let's say um because you know when i was growing up it was much more about being outside and you know being active in that kind of way whereas i see more of it now as being contact through devices and and you know utilizing the internet for 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 lots more because it just is more readily available um and i question whether or not that is then creating this mindset of i want the answer now and i, I need that now it was all i suppose nowism is probably how how you'd um you term it but i just wonder if that if that is the the kind of interplay yeah, use people are more used to this immediate gratification of yeah. i've ordered something on amazon it's going to come like sometimes the same day but like the next day right instead of I've ordered something, it might take six weeks to ship to get here, but that's exciting. And I think about that process. And the same with, I guess, the results that they're expecting to get. Like people just want these results now, as opposed to being like, actually, you have to do this work consistently. Another point you make, which is really interesting, is that so much of our environment has changed because of devices and because of the way that we live now, which means that previously, where you wouldn't have really had to think about being active, you would have just been like, well, I have to walk to school. That's what I yeah. do. Or like, then I play outside. And so I just, I didn't think about the fact that I'm expending energy. It just happens. Mm. Now, we probably do need more interventions to actually force that because it doesn't naturally happen. And that, I guess, like you can argue that that can potentially be problematic in some situations. But if we are going to live in this like more and more obesogenic environment when not only food is so easy to get and so immediate, like I spoke about instant gratifications, like you can literally order something and it comes to your door in five minutes. You don't even have to get off the couch. Like you might have to answer the door. That's it. 
And whereas before, and not even that long ago, like if you wanted chips, like you would have to make the chips or you would have to grow the potatoes. I think when you see actually the process of it, mm. you wouldn't be like, oh, I'm just going to binge eat on these chips. You'd be like, oh my God, it took months to grow the potatoes to then actually you know cook the potatoes and and make them and then consume them and you see that whole process like we're so far removed from that now that we're like oh yeah I opened my app and I ordered it and it came it's just such a different way of living it's it's one of the benefits to living out in um I live out in the countryside so I mean I've got fields at the front and fields at the back kind of thing and we can't get the the food delivered so like um Deliveroo and whatever other uh, other food app just don't come out this far. So if we what if we want to go and get a big greasy burger, as an example, it is then a drive into our nearest city, um, which is Worcester, uh, and we've got to go and, and get it. And that's what forty minutes, maybe an hour round trip, all in. So like it's quite nice being external to that environment yeah and I think that's a healthy way to be partly so what I mean by that is like there should be some more barriers up so we're not saying don't ever go and have a greasy burger but if you want it enough to travel into the town to get it and to probably sit down and actually enjoy it and it be a full experience then great do that and make that choice but if you're just bored sitting on your phone and you're like Hmm, yeah maybe I could have a burger actually I'll just have it like that's the issue actually having a bit of a barrier there isn't to say to people you can't have it it's to say like if you actually want it you will make some form of effort to get it which is where I think things like you know not keeping crisps and chocolate in your house like you know in really close proximity if that's something that you want to avoid eating frequently is a good idea not because then you never eat crisps and chocolate but then because if you're like oh I fancy some chocolate like okay well you'll need to walk to Tesco which is five minutes away to get it it's quite a small barrier but it does mean that you're far less likely to overeat that and it gives you the pause of do I actually want this or is it literally just at arm's reach yeah and I I I had a had a period this this year mainly um but it's something I've always kind of struggled with is that binge eating um, mindset. And one of the things that my therapist recommended was exactly that was to, to remove the things from the house so that, I mean, I, you know, it didn't stop me from doing it, but it made it more difficult for me to just go and binge eat. Um, and it, you know, for me, it's, it, it's all to do with lots of different things, but kind of trauma and, and pain, because I, I live with live with chronic pain and have done since I was born. Uh, it's just that's just the way it is. Um, and I know you've got some experience of, of of living with pain yourself, and and that has that has always been my safety net. Whereas if you just remove that and make it a little bit more difficult, it's just a little bit more difficult. It means that that. I don't know, two pound bar of chocolate or whatever, um, or bag of Maltesers because you can easily eat a bag of Maltesers. Um, that's actually five quid because I've got to go and get it. Got to spend the the fuel on going going and getting there. And obviously, banking mindset, always thinking about money. <laughs> um, but also, it's the time factor that 
I can't just go downstairs and, and grab it. It's okay. So I've got to get in my car. I've got to get, well, first of all, I've got to get out of the house, down the stairs, out of the house, in the car, drive all the way over to Worcester, come back, um, find it in Tesco's and all that sort of stuff. That's a lot more difficult. And it almost seems like we've got the barriers in the wrong place then. Yeah, and also what you're just describing there is a response to something as opposed to a reaction to something. And again, that's what puts the the barrier up a little bit. I think a lot of people don't realise that this is kind of what happens with tracking calories as well. Like people think that the main benefit to tracking calories is getting the exact right numbers of everything. And it's not. It's actually the increased awareness and it's the pause between, oh, I think I'm going to eat a bag of Maltesers. And or even often not thinking that, just think there is some there. And then before you know it, you've had the whole bag and you're like, oh, man, I, I almost don't remember really doing that. I've just been looking at it mindlessly. It removes that mindless aspect because you're like, oh, I'm actually going to have to open my app up, put in how many calories are in a bag of Maltesers and then then have them. And that's the difference between reacting to things and responding to things. And you, you just spoke about therapy. That was probably the biggest like top three things that I learned from therapy was actually to respond to things instead of to react to things yeah. in every area of life. Like, and it's made my life infinitely better and you can put it in a food context, but even things like discussions with people or kind of like when things get a little bit heated and you're arguing, like you often react to things yeah. and actually having the ability to just like respond to something makes your life considerably better in, in every area. And it's you know, one of the other things in terms of responding to it that I was taught was once you've got the food, it's then actually taking the time to enjoy the food. Because I, I mean, I, I would, if I was in that, that kind of escapism, which is essentially what I was doing, I was using the food and cramming it down my neck to escape the pain that I was going through, which is understandable. It's not nice being in pain. It's not the best way of, of, of managing that but you know that 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 was what it was but actually taking the time to to look at the in a Malteser uh, so use the same example but look at it actually understand that it's not entirely spherical that there's little bumps in it there's different textures to it and then putting it in your mouth and letting the chocolate melt and letting the the kind of chocolate go and then you've got the inside which has a little fizz to it understanding that's a different texture and you've got the crunch aspect and actually understanding the whole process that you're going through that for me was a big a really big kind of game changer it's I don't always get it right still don't and I still struggle but when I actually stop and think about it and go through that process it's such a dramatic change because i will not eat the whole bag i will i will have a handful at most yeah and you're becoming more mindful but you, and, and more aware of what you're doing but the most important thing that you i think you're describing there is you actually enjoy it and when most people describe binge eating they don't actually enjoy the food that they're consuming because like you said you're almost just like eating it so far to cram it yeah. down your mouth like down your neck like it's and it feels like in the moment, like a compulsion. Yeah. So you're not actually enjoying the food in the same way. We don't. As you, if you're just, you know, like slowly consuming that food and be like, oh, I'm actually, by the way, Malteser with like a mouthful of tea. 
unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. So my favorite, and this this is going to sound disgusting, but it's not honest. Um, is hot orange juice with a Malteser and and having it melt um on through that. Just what, gives like it, squash, like hot squash. Yeah, and it just gives it a really a really random taste. Yeah, I'm not going to try that one. <laughs> you should no, not for me. Oh dear. So one of the things as a personal trainer that I I've certainly asked of personal trainers in the past, and it kind of goes goes along with the 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 food and the and the barriers that are in place, but do you get asked quite a lot about abs and getting shredded and uh being lean and, and all that sort of stuff? And and if so what? What, what what would be your response to it? Yeah, so probably once a day I'll get asked how to get abs or how to reduce belly fat. And a lot of the time it's someone who actually understands a little bit. So they, they normally start with, I know you can't spot reduce fat and then, the, then go on to say basically how do you spot reduce fat? So it's like they still want to be but can you just confirm that you definitely can't spot reduce fat? I'm like, yeah, you still can't spot reduce fat. So someone who has abs is more than likely going to have low body fat. Like that's the the primary thing. Now you could have two people who have relatively low body fat. One person has abs or the other person doesn't because where you store your fat is not down to you. So like I said, you can't choose where, where fat comes from, but you also can't choose where you store body fat. Yeah. So some people will be more predisposed to storing fat more around their middle, some more predisposed to storing fat more around their bum. Like it's it's largely genetic. The other aspect that comes in that's probably not spoken about that much is how long your torso is. Okay. So people who have quite a long torso are more likely to have visible abs. For example, I have pretty visible abs. I also had pretty visible abs that we kind of touched on. I, I struggled with chronic pain for a period of time when I slipped discs in my back and I put on 30 pounds, which for a small person is, is quite a lot of weight. Um, and I still had, and now I wouldn't say abs, but like, you know, you could tell that there was something there, right? I still had yeah. like some definition in my abs. And that again is partly because of my genetic makeup. Like one most women, at least pre-menopause, don't actually store that much fat around their middle, which is great for us because it reduces our risk of cardiovascular disease and other metabolic complications. So we tend to store more around like our bums and our quote-unquote bingo wings, but like arms and things. Yeah, And, And that's actually, you know, the benefit of that, as much as some people don't like it, is it's quite a safe place to store fat. It doesn't cause as many metabolic complications. Um. So that's probably why I was able to maintain like some visible ab despite the quite a lot of fat gain that I experienced during that time. But it, yeah, if you're looking if you're looking for advice to lose body fat, like as much as I don't like absolutes and there's this whole saying of like abs are made in the kitchen, like no. If you want like to see muscular abs, you actually have to build muscle. So there is, you know, resistance training matters, but yeah. also to lose body fat so you need to be pretty damn lean to have abs and sometimes for some women and I would say potentially for most women actually getting to a body fat percentage where they will have visible abs is not healthy and may mean that 
they then lose their menstrual cycle, which has a whole host of other complications. But essentially, when when your body can sense that there is not that much body fat available, it will shut down energy costly processes like menstruating. Yeah, it doesn't need to be doing that. And that might sound like if you're a woman, you're like, well, actually, periods are quite annoying anyway, and I don't really mind not having them. And that would probably mean I have less hormonal fluctuations as well. There are some like serious long-term consequences to that. Things like loss of bone mineral density, harder to build muscle, um, increased risk of cardiovascular disease. Like it's no joke. And I think a lot of people just ignore it because they don't have side effects in the short term. And also not to mention, sorry, I forgot quite, the quite large one of like potentially not being able to have children yeah. is obviously you're in fact, you're, you're not able to, if you're not, having your menstrual cycle you're you're not going to get pregnant so there are many things that um can be impacted so that's not something to um ignore if that is you i mean abs is probably the probably the most commonly sought after kind of definition showing um area do you get asked about kind of other i mean so I've always wanted really stacked legs, but because of my lower limbs, I don't have car. Basically, I've got a calf that's about that big, which um, is is pretty much nothing because I was born with talibets. Um So you just don't have them. Um, is there is there ways that people will get? Or let me rephrase that. Will people get focused on other areas beyond abs, like having stacked quads or? glutes I guess is probably the other one yeah so a lot of women like big glutes and I'm like in some ways similar to you in that now because of my back injury I can't do anything really lower body like I just I try and keep some level of muscle mass there more for health than anything else and I know as I age that'll be important as well um but I've just kind of changed. I'm like, well, you know, I can't do lower body, but that means I can do like double as much upper body. So I can have a freaking awesome upper body. And I think so much of this is mindset, right? Like a lot of the time you want things that you can't have, but part of part of that is like teaching yourself to ignore that and be like, well, do you know what? I'm never going to, like, I am never going to have massive glutes because if I do heavy squats, I can't walk for days and I'm in pain for days. Like that, yeah. it's not worth it to me, right? Yeah. But I can have freaking awesome triceps so I'm like, yeah, that's my thing. Like triceps will be my thing. That's yeah. what I'm going to work on. So I think part of it is like choosing really with the mindset around this as well, actually. Maybe I will tell this story. So I've just been to Portugal with my business partner and like my best mate. And she was like, I want to go surfing. And I just had a back flare up. And I was like, it's just, I used to love surfing. I love like skateboarding. I love like I, as a kid, I was just, I was just like a little boy, really like just playing all these sports where I absolutely love trying stuff I'm kind of a bit of a daredevil like that kind of stuff love it but realistically now it's not worth like I had to pay ten thousand pounds to get my back fixed like it's probably not worth (laughs) surfing like like, not just the pain aspect and potential hurt but like it's probably gonna cost me a lot to fix it if it if it messes up again so anyway I was like I'll I'll not go surfing but you go and it did make me think on the day, like I was a little, I was a little bit like, oh, I kind of wish I could go and it looks really fun. And like, that was something I used to really enjoy doing. And I think you can look at it in two ways. You can either look at it, like focus on the stuff that you can't do and be really upset about that or realize 
that there are so many things that you could do in life that you will never have time to do. Like no one will ever have time to do all of the really cool things that you could possibly do in life. So yeah, like some of those doors have been shut to you. I actually think constraints are a good thing. And if you lean into them, you're like, cool, I can't do that with that time. Actually, one door shutting means like all of the rest of them are open. So I can't go surfing with that time. I can literally do anything else that I wanted to do with that time. And I ended up like not doing that much exciting, right? I went to the gym, but then it did make me think I couldn't even go to the gym. Like this time two years ago, like I couldn't go to the gym. I couldn't travel. I couldn't sit on a plane for long enough to get anywhere. Like all of these things, bearing in mind there was also a pandemic, but whatever, (laughs) besides the point, like all of these things I couldn't do that now I can do. And I really think for me, it was a bit of a clicking point was realizing there are so many opportunities that you will just never even have time to do. And mm. actually a few of those being shut off to you it probably isn't a bad thing. Like it's that, that you still have an unlimited amount that you'll never get done. And that kind of helped me. And then you can focus on what you can do, not what you can't do. Well, I think the opening doors one is, is something that I've, because my ankles took a real downturn um, Christmas sort of time, just gone. Well, I say just gone. We're almost at the next one, but <laughs> um, and that, that was really that was really difficult. And I would at that time I was really focused on all the things that I just couldn't do because I, I couldn't I couldn't walk effectively. I just couldn't get around. And I'd start using mobility aids and see one of them in 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 the background. I've got my my walking frame, which <laughs> at the time I was like, that's for old people. But why am I why am I having to use that? But once you start to get through all that kind of mass of, and it, it's a it's an element of grief really, because what you're doing is that you're looking at all of the things that you can no longer do from a mindset of loss, and then you're having to then adjust and work your way through that that kind of process. And yeah, you know, there's there is a process you go through with grief, and I definitely went through that. But then when you do get through and when you get to the point of understanding that, all right, these doors are shut, but these ones have just opened. So I, I'm i going to be doing my first ever adaptive games this weekend. Um, I've never been to any form of athletics competition beyond throwing discus when I was younger. Um, and yeah, that's something that I wouldn't have even thought about doing even even last year. Even when I was at my fittest and I was, you know, proper gym crazy, I'd never even thought about it. Whereas I'm giving it a go. Yeah. And also, I, I used to play basketball, so I was, I was never, <laughs> I was never a particularly good basketball player, but I was, I was a, I was imposing on the court. That's how everyone described me. Um, but I couldn't keep up with people. Just got, I couldn't run as fast because I haven't got the spring, I haven't got the bounce, couldn't jump as high because same reason whereas now I play wheelchair basketball and actually I'm quite good but I, I hadn't even thought about that whereas I probably should have been playing that for the last like 10 years and you know could have been doing all sorts of of cool things so it's now about understanding those interesting and cool things that other people don't get the chance to do but I do yeah I mean, it's pretty amazing. I, I think it does take a while to get there. And as you said, it's a bit of a process. I think one of the hardest things is self-comparison. 
Mm. So obviously you compare yourself to others and like, oh, so-and-so can do this and I can't. And like, or, or I'm like, oh, Amelia can go surfing and I can't. But that doesn't really hurt. It's actually what's much more painful is me a couple of years ago, I could do all this stuff. So yeah. I know what it feels like. I knew what my body could do. I knew what it was capable of. And now knowing that actually I'll never do those things anymore because it's just not worth it, like the risk to me anymore. That I think that's quite hard. But then when you realize, like I said, all the opportunities that you have and not just like physically, a lot of the time when I'm speaking to clients about this, I'm like, well, let's focus on what you can do. And they're like, well, I can only do, I don't know, lower body because I've hurt my shoulder or something. And I'm like, no, I don't just mean in the gym. I mean like everything else you can do. Like my training is like cut in half and and partly because what we spoke about at the start, like it's just not a productive way to spend my time. I don't need to do that much training. But it does give me a hell of a lot of like energy and focus and like inspiration for other areas of my life. There's no way that I would be running as many businesses as, as I do if I was still spending that amount of time in the gym. Mm. And, and I'm much more excited about those things and the impact I can have on people doing that as opposed to basically coaching myself in the gym or like seeing how shredded I can get or yeah. how striated my glutes can be or whatever that is like that doesn't do it for me anymore but actually potentially if I haven't hadn't been like forced into that maybe these doors wouldn't have opened yeah and I think that kind of wider thought could uh, uh, again something that I've kind of come into again this year really um in the face of thinking oh shit um I I am I am now disabled. I don't. I don't actually like referring to myself as as that, but I am. I, you know that 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 it is what it is. But it's also allowing me to look at all the other things that I want to do that I was a bit too scared to admit. So I start a psychology masters in like eight days or something like that. Um, so I'm going to basically retrain uh, and and I. I want to go into clinical psychology in all likelihood, but um, I'm kind of leaving that door slightly wider open just because I might find something that um, I just fall in love with entirely uh, and and I'll go that way, but definitely something uh, along the psychology lines. And I remember when I was like 15, 16, thinking I really enjoy this topic. I really find people and the the kind of thought process the process that people go through and why they do things and and you know the the behavior aspect i find that so interesting but then i was being kind of crammed into certain boxes as someone that was very good at debating very good at at kind of um looking through swathes of uh, of, of kind of documents and and pigeonholed into going to law to start with um, never did like law it was a bit too bit too um, bit too dry for my my personal taste um, and then ended, ended up in banking nothing really that I have a passion for but having that that face of a difference in life has allowed me to then think awesome let's give this a go I also think sometimes it it, it, one it makes you realize 
that sometimes when the worst things happen or like really at the end you can catastrophize anything but like very bad things happen and you realize it's not actually as bad as what I thought it was going to be or more to the point I've dealt with it and I yeah. am dealing with it and then you're like well what else could I deal with what else can I do and an area I used to work in was working with breast cancer survivors and I noticed this so much with so many of these women was that after they'd had breast cancer they just had this new lease of life and I was like I wish I could bottle this up and give it to other people and I really focused on trying to have it for myself as well I was like I want like you know I want to be so inspired by you that that I have that feeling as well because I don't think we should have to go through something so awful to then have that feeling but almost just like little stuff doesn't matter life is too short no one's going to remember you in 100 years Mm. so try the stuff like what's and then actually sometimes catastrophizing this stuff is really useful if you're like okay well what's the worst that could happen if I go and try this new career and often you realize the worst thing that could happen is that I end up back where I am, but you've tried something and yeah. then you don't regret. And there's this great model of decision-making. And I think it was Jeff Bezos who came up with this, but anyway, it's called regret minimization. And it's essentially thinking that, you know, if, if you're thinking about making decision, a decision, like let's say it is, do I try this thing that I'm really passionate about that might not work? Or do I just continue in the job that I have? When you look back at your life, when you're 80 odd, what will you regret not doing? Mm-hmm. And then it's about making the decisions that you will regret the least. So, and then you have to, you have to say, I would still regret that whether it works or not. So for example, whether you try this new career and it works or it doesn't, you still have to think like, would I regret not trying essentially? Mm-hmm. And that often clears a lot of things up for people. And we, so many people end up living an okay life because they're scared of giving up okay to get to great and often you do and often it's even harder because you know from what I know very little of your life but you've got like an amazing family and you've got a very good job like you're giving up good to potentially have great yeah and that's a hard thing like I mean that's a ballsy thing to do and a lot of people don't do that they're like I'm gonna settle with good as opposed to risk it to get to great yeah, and I, th- I mean, I, I think I've got the slight advantage in that this won't be the first time I've gone and kind of clicked the fuck it button um, and oh, we've got thunder. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, I, when I was I don't know, 24, 23, 24, uh, mid, mid-20s anyway, I was working in banking the first time rounds and absolutely hated it just couldn't stand it um and i'd come off the back of a pretty rubbish time at uni first degree was not the best um looking back i now know why it's because i was having a really bad period of depression that just didn't even know what that was back then um now i do (laughs) and it's easier to to kind of identify it but I was kind of coming coming through all of that and having a rubbish time at work. And I applied for um, the graduate diploma in law, it's called. So it's, it's a conversion course. And thought I wouldn't get in. I did. And then I kind of went through that process. So I, I, I left my banking job, which 
at the time actually was was probably more money overall than I even earn now. So financially, it was a great job. I was living at home, and you know, there was lots of lots of kind of easy parts to life. Didn't have any commitments particularly, so maybe that's why I could do that back then easier. Um, and then ended up working in HMV, which, by the way, is probably my best job ever because um, it was just one of those places. Yeah, yeah. M- music and then more music and then more music. Um, <laughs> and then did my LPC and then worked in law um, and hated it. Absolutely hated it. Loved the academic side, loved the topic, but but hated the outcome. But I don't regret that at all. And I don't regret it because had I not done that, I would still now be questioning myself, should I have Should I have done it? Should I have gone for it? I think, you know, the, the kind of um, the, the Jess Bezos um, theory, which I think it probably is him, it it just allows you to to focus down on on what's important, I suppose. Um, yeah, I think it gives nice perspective, and I think so many of those things. Like, there's a lot of stories about you know what do people regret at the end of their lives, and it's often what they haven't done, not what they have done. Mm. They regret. So, like, oh, I wish I'd tried more. I wish I'd I don't know partied more. I wish I'd worried less. Is another one of like 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 what will be will be like let's just try it and let's see what happens yeah i get i mean i guess the other thing that people don't always always think of in these things because <laughs> i one, one of the reasons that that i kind of look back and and i was pleased that i did it was because it was really hard work and it took a lot to actually get through that and and do pretty well in all my exams and and all that sort of stuff <laughs> but Going back to what we were saying at the start, really around the barriers that are in place for for um, improving yourself, and I guess one of the things that I learned back then is it's not so much the initial barrier of going and and doing the thing; it's carrying on doing that thing and, and actually turning up every day to allow yourself to get to the whatever the desired outcome is. I'm going to take a big stab in the dark here, but that must form a fairly big part of your your kind of coaching and mentoring, I would have thought, wouldn't it? Yeah, and I used to speak a lot about impatience and impatience to getting the result. And now I actually have completely turned that around and I'm like, you don't need patience if you're enjoying the process. So mm-hmm. focus the process because a lot of these things are things you need to do for the rest of your life and you know what your life isn't going to change when you lose fat yeah you need to be happy now you need to enjoy your life now you need to be living your life now instead of waiting to achieve something because whether it's fat loss or earning 10k a month or you know whatever it is whatever financial goals you have you won't actually be happier when you reach that. Like it's the pursuit of a goal, which is actually the most enjoyable part. And like you just said, like it's doing the hard thing. It's really rewarding doing something hard and achieving mm. it. And actually, so now I'm, I take more of a stance of like, actually you don't need half as much patience if you're not doing some stupid diet that you absolutely freaking hate waiting for the end of it. Cause that's only ever going to be a short term fix. We need to fit this into your life and make it something that you enjoy or at least don't, 
hate, right? So you enjoy the outcome of it. Yeah. Um, and something I heard recently on a podcast and they were talking about, it was mostly with marketing actually, but the example was you don't need to make the Eurostar faster. You need to make the journey more enjoyable. And I thought that relates directly to fat loss because actually you will trip yourself up trying to make fat loss quicker. Like it's it's a relatively slow process, right? You can speed it up a bit, but if you want it to be sustainable, it's going to take a period of time. That's just the way it is. Now, if you try to speed that up by doing like a six week juice cleanse or something, you will trip yourself up because you won't be able to maintain that and you'll end up yo-yo dieting. And actually that that makes the more times you have to restart the process, i.e. yo-yo dieting, the longer the process takes. Yeah. So if instead you focus on making the journey enjoyable instead of worrying about how long it's going to take, that seems to be the best solution to me. I mean, some of that, it kind of comes down to being able to do, because in a weight loss journey, I mean, I've, I've lost, so I've lost and gained weight over the years. And I think the, the lightest I was in my adult life was something around 92, 93 kilos. Um, the heaviest, um, about 128, some, something in that ballpark. So, yeah, that's a huge difference in between. And for me, a, a lot of it comes down to usually re-injuring myself and and then that's kind of spurs off bad bad habits but how do you how do you help somebody that's kind of gone through all of those things so doing the juice cleanses doing all these pretty nasty things to your body and very short-term things but then putting them on the on the mindset that every day you've got to commit to doing these fairly boring and mundane things. So how, how do you shift that mindset? I think it's more a mindset of I get to do this than I have to do this. And I get to do this because I know it makes me feel good. I know it makes me turn up at my best. I know that my future self is going to thank me for it. It's not something that's being imposed on you. Like how incredible is it? I mean, you'll know as someone who struggles with being able to do certain things like actually when that's taken away from you you're so grateful for being able to do those things like if you've been for a flare-up and it was painful to even get out of bed in the morning and now you can like that level of gratitude again it's kind of related to what I was talking about with the breast cancer survivors like I want that level of gratitude for life like how amazing is that that actually you're just so grateful to just even be alive but actually the privilege you have to be able to diet and look after your body is is massive and I think that mindset coming into things is really important I do a lot of pre-work before the diet so you know if anyone's listening and and wants to see any of this it's free on my website if you go to esgfitness.co.uk and I think it says free content and then mindset prep and it's just podcast kind of talking you through how I want you to approach the diet because actually that's the most important thing people think that what they're looking for is the secret carbohydrate timing or the fact that they might have been having two grams too much fat or the exact right calorie target for them is actually none of that. It's the mental approach as to how you're approaching dieting. And obviously having a sensible dieting approach is important as well, which 
is really like I mean I can give people that in my sleep like that's the bare basics Mm. coaching is really far more about how you're mentally approaching these things because I mean I think I think one of the things that's tripped me up in the past has been seeing fairly good quick results and then getting to I don't know three months down the line let's say and it's slowing is there is there such a thing when you've got a lot of weight I mean I mean even now I've probably got about 30 kilograms of weight to to shift which is a lot of weight you know that's how well more than half my wife (laughs) which is slightly depressing when you look at it that way (laughs) But is there is there such a thing as that kind of fast? I think I've heard it described as the whoosh effect of kind of weight loss that then slows, or is that just because you've overtrained and and over overdone things um, at the start? So yes and no. So yes, when a lot of people start dieting, they will lose weight very quickly initially, and this is often largely water weight. So some fat, but also some water weight. Now there's only so much water weight that you're going to lose. Mm. So for example, if one of the ways that you dropped your calories was reducing the amount of carbohydrates you took in, then actually you can, you can lose like a good few pounds in the first couple of weeks, which can be really motivating, but it might not continue like that. So there's, there's that element. And then there is also the element that if you have less total fat to lose, then you will lose weight slower. So say, for example, when you had 50 pounds of fat to lose, you would lose fat quicker. And then actually when you've only got five pounds left, you can't expect to lose it at the same rate as when yeah. you first started because you're a smaller person, right? You have less total weight to lose. So there's there's those elements. Um, and then I often think that those two things kind of relate to adherence as well a lot of the time. So as much as the weight loss might genuinely be slowing because of the weight loss slowing, you then respond to that by not being as adherent on your diet. Cause you're like, I'm not getting the results anyway. And then you might overeat, which obviously then means that you then lose even less weight because you then might not be in as much of a deficit. So they kind of snowball into each other. And that's why it's really important to focus on the process as opposed to the outcome, because the outcome will take care of itself, but weight loss is never linear. Slightly more linear in men, but it's it's never linear. So you'll have weeks where you lose two pounds, weeks where you lose a pound, weeks where, where your weight stays stable. And what you really want to look at is trends over time. Mm. So is it going down over time? Don't worry about the amount it's going down. Just look at the direction over time. With women, it's slightly different because of our, our hormonal fluctuations. There will certainly be times of the month where you have lost body fat that week but you have put on weight that happens almost every month for almost every woman. Yeah. And that can be a real like head fuck yeah. for one of a better term. Plus that often happens. In fact, that almost always happens at a time of the month where we are least rational because hormones are going everywhere and we're already in a pretty bad mood. And then we realize that the weight's gone up, even though we stuck to all our targets, we've put in a hell of a lot of work. That's so frustrating. And that can often end in, well screw the diet anyway I'm just going to overeat plus you normally have more cravings at that time so it can be a really hard time of the month and again that's where things like coaching comes in because as I said it's not really about the exact calories or the exact macros it's about 
when you want to give up, being able to reach out to someone and then reassuring you and then keeping you on track. Or when you inevitably at some point on your journey do go off track or do overeat, that is that will happen at some point. It's not an if, it's a when. But the difference between people who get results and people who don't get results is how they respond to that. So do they then get themselves back on track or reach out to their coach to help them get back on track within you know a day? Or do they wallow in it for two weeks yeah. and then finally get back to going to the gym again? That's the difference. It's not the weekend overindulgence. It's your response to the weekend overindulgence. And I think my favorite quote about this is something along the lines of, it's not falling in the river that drowns someone. It's staying submerged. So it's like, it's not falling off track that ruins your diet. It's actually staying down there and like continuing to overeat or continuing not to go to the gym or not to exercise. Yeah, I think my, my longest uh, reaction was about, about a year. Um, (laughs) I mean, that can happen, right? And And then the longer it goes on, actually, the harder it is to get yourself back on track because you're like, now I have actually ruined it. And legitimate, well, not ruined it, right? You've never ruined anything really. But like now I have actually put on a lot of weight. Yeah. And now I really can't be bothered to go back and start again. Yeah, because there's always that, that, I guess, it's not, it's not fear. It's, it's probably more frustration over having to start all over again. Um, but actually, if you shift that mindset in that you're not starting all over again, because you've, You've learned from the last time, um, so you're already in a better position this time round than you than you were previously. Um, just shows how much mindset matters. Massively. Mm. I could I could genuinely listen to you talk about this stuff for for hours, and I, and I in fact have. Um, yeah. On your There's podcast. There's an hour of me yeah. talking about this stuff. Um, but I'm conscious conscious of time so um, I always finish up with asking two questions um, the first one uh, is really because I've got a five-year-old son um, looking back at your five-year-old self what bit of advice would you give and and why so I thought about this and I don't think I would give any advice because I think that at five you don't need any advice. Just go and live. Like you don't need advice. Just just live and don't worry too much about anything. Yeah. Like you're five years old. That's the whole point. The whole point is you have no worries. You can go and explore and you can go and just find out what you do like and what you don't like and yeah, make friends, do stuff. You're five. <laughs> don't stress. The trick is probably maintaining that mindset throughout your later years. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, more, what would be more interesting is what would your five-year-old self tell you now? Mm. Go on then. I think they'd be, I think my five-year-old self would be quite happy with where I'm at. I think they'd be like, cool. Yeah, you've got a cool job. Go you. <laughs> Little cheerleader in the background. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Um, and the other one is then, and you will have to pretend that I am like the best cook can cook absolutely anything. Um, dinner party, dinner party extraordinaire kind of thing. Um, what would you have cook? Um, but also, uh, the, there's kind of four seats there. Who would you have that come along and, and why, what would you want out of them? Okay. So I would definitely have pad Thai. It's my favorite. 
Yeah. So that's easy. The four people is always hard because it totally depends on my mood. But I think I would say a little bit morbid, but my grandfather, I feel like I've learned quite a lot about him since he died. And I think mm. I would like to meet him again. Um, And then not that these people would mix, but I love seeing the two guys that I do the podcast with, Fitness Unfiltered, Mike and Dan. So maybe I would have them. And then one more, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'll I'll just have to see on the day. Maybe if I'm dating someone, I would bring them along. <laughs> just just out of necessity. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's polite, isn't it? Plus one. See, I think I'd have someone like outrageous, like Donald Trump or Boris Johnson, not because I like them in any shape or form. <laughs> But just because it would be lovely to tell them where to where to go. <laughs> That's fair. Um, it is. I do always think about this because a lot of the time people will be like, "Oh, my favorite celebrity is so and so," or "I really respect so and so." And there are certain people who I think are incredible. So, for example, like I love Angela Duckworth, who is a economist. But I've also listened to so much of her stuff. I actually don't know if there's anything else that I'd really want to ask her. Mm. And then I don't hold celebrities at all to a higher status. I think same. they're probably quite boring. And I don't really care much for like speaking to some footballer about something. I'm like, mm, doesn't do anything for me. Well, I mean, I, I kind of think, and I, I think the granddad one is a really interesting one because it's somebody from a different era who's had who wouldn't particularly if they're no longer around they now don't know what you know all the ridiculous things that they wouldn't probably wouldn't have even thought about actually when they were mm. when they were young um you know things like a, a a phone or this conversation in fact being able to have a, a conversation with somebody in a different part of the country um, yeah so when he was alive my we got him a an ipad for christmas one year and i facetimed him yeah and he was just like so confused and just he just like gave it away back to my mom was like, oh no, no no and i was like oh thanks but he was like i didn't understand how this is happening like no <laughs> so yeah it's it is interesting yeah i i i generally find older people fairly fascinating anyway because they've got some some good stories um and that's what you want from a dinner guest awesome well look thank you very much for um for coming on and and for talking um you've been amazing uh do you want to let everyone know where where you are and if they want to reach out where they can reach out to you well firstly thank you very much for having me on it's been an absolute pleasure if you want to talk to me about anything probably the best place to reach out is instagram at esg fitness and you'll find all the links to everything on my Instagram as well. But if you want to go to my website, esgfitness.co.uk. Amazing. Thank you very much. Bye. Hi. Well, thank you, friends. That's all we've got time for today. I'm sure you have enjoyed uh, today's episode and if you did please make sure you rate uh, the episode and the show's five stars on whatever platform you might be listening on and of course please share your own stories and your own um, kind of th- thoughts and feelings of the episodes in the reviews you can also find me um, on I am 
Gavin Clark, and that's Clark with an E, over on Instagram. And you can search for The Safe Place uh, on there too. It's a safe place podcast. But for now, I'll send you away with love, kindness, and compassion. Speak soon. <laughs>